If I haven't had a chance to meet you, um, my name is Joe, and uh, Alyssa and I are uh, the pastors here at Central City Church. And um, as she said, this is our uh, this is our first preview service, um, a first of three preview services as we launch uh, weekly services this fall. And um, wow, we have been uh, praying and thinking and planning and wrestling with. Uh, uh, this very moment, and uh, we are just uh, so uh, honored to be able to spend it with you. It's almost surreal to see you all gathered here, and uh, um, it's a joy. Um, before we get into the message, I, I thought I would tell you just a little bit about um, myself and this church. I mean, I'm a, uh, even for those who I've already met and those on our launch team, uh, many of those relationships are, um, are pretty uh, new, and, it, and, and so it seems only appropriate to um, just, uh, you know, just clear the air a little bit and um, just lay out uh, some of the stuff about me that uh, you're bound to find out eventually anyways, um, stuff that uh, might come out and be a little awkward. So I thought I'd just take some time in this service and just tell you what those things are ahead of time so you know a little bit about me. Uh, so here's the first thing. Anyone nervous? That, that's good. That was my point. Uh, here's the first thing, and this is true. I grew up in a small town called Hicksville, Ohio. Uh, it's a real place, and uh, that's, that's where I'm from. It's, a, it's a, a proper noun, not an adjective. It's really called that. It's actually a pretty great town, um, but Columbus is the first um, real city I've, I've ever lived in. I've, uh, I, I did live in Fort Wayne, Indiana for a little bit while I was going to, to school, but uh, when you're on campus, that doesn't hardly count as living in the city. Now, Alyssa, she's from Canal Winchester, so we do have some Columbus area roots, but not me. I'm this small town guy uh, who now lives in, uh, in, in, a, in a big and thriving city. Now, the good thing that I've learned about Columbus is that it's a big city, but I've gotten the sense over the last couple of months now that we live here that it's really kind of made up of smaller neighborhoods, and there's almost this small town feel. Uh, I especially get that feeling right here in Grandview uh, as people, you know, go and walk to the football games and hang out, and I love that. So that's the first thing I want you to know about me. I'm from Hicksville. Uh, that's a real place, and uh, it's a real town, and I'm from it. But here's the second thing. I'm, uh, I'm one of seven kids. Um, and all from the same mom and dad. Now, Alyssa and I, uh, we, have, we have one uh, kid. Uh, here's a picture, picture of him. That's, yeah, you, you missed the, the cue, though. You get, aw. He's ridiculously cute, which is very deceptive because he's rotten. <laughs> like, just really bad. And one of these days, I hope to sleep again. And I know my wife feels the same way. Uh, but my mom, she had seven kids. These, are, these aren't all her kids. These are with the grandkids nowadays from oh, Christmas a couple years ago. Um, but I have no idea how she survived that. I'm one of seven. We all start with J's. It's like we're on our own little cult or commune or something. But it's Julie, Jeff, Janelle, Josh, Joey, John, and James. I learned to do that very young. That's a little bit about me. I'm, I'm a, the craziest thing about my family is that we're a big family, but we all like each other. I used to think that was normal until I met other families. But it's not. That's the craziest thing about our family. We actually like each other, and with seven people, you think, you know, well, nine with my parents, you think that that might not be the case. But we're here, um, a big family. I'm from a big family, but a small town. Now we live here. Not here, actually. We ended up buying a house in Franklinton, and I'll tell you more about that journey and that experience and some of the adventures around Franklinton at some point as well. But living in Columbus, there is one more thing you need to know about me. I am a, a huge fan of the Ohio State University football, basketball, hockey, 
whatever. No one else is? <laughs> I'm like talking to the wrong crowd. Now, I'm a huge fan of OSU sports entirely because it's necessary for planning a church in Columbus. That's the biggest reason. See, people who know me know that that's the only reason. I'm a fan because it's necessary. Um, because if I'm honest, and we're being honest right now, I know nothing about sports. I really don't. I don't have a clue. Um, uh, you see, and it's almost like a curse of some sort, because my dad had, uh, of seven kids, my dad had five boys. Five boys. Like, the odds were definitely in his favor to have a boy who likes sports. And my dad, he loves sports, and he made us play, and it was terrible. Um, but uh, of the five boys... None of them watch sports. None of them do. None of them are into it. And I have no idea what my dad did to upset God, but it must have been really bad. Um, in fact, I think maybe he kept, you know, trying to have more kids just so eventually one of the boys would be into sports. And so I was basically given birth for one reason, and I missed it. Now, it's not all that bad because my, my, dad had, my, my parents had two girls, and they married normal men. And those two guys love sports. So on Thanksgiving, this is a true story, on Thanksgiving a number of years ago, all of us boys that he had are sitting around playing Settlers of Catan, <laughs> nerd style, and the two son-in-laws are back in the back room, in the tiny room with the tiny TV because that's the priority it gets in our household, watching whatever game was on Thanksgiving that year. So that's me, that might not be you, and that's all right, because I want to say something, I want to say it with certainty, and I want to get real for just a second. Regardless of who you are, and whether you fit into a mold, that the society has created, or whether you don't, um, I want you to know that uh, you are welcome here. Now, I joke about a lot of things, and uh, mostly to get a laugh, but there's one thing I don't joke about, and it's this. I don't care who you are, I'm glad you're here. And I don't know what your story is, and I don't, I don't know what, where you come from or what you've experienced, but I'm so glad that you're here. And I'd go one step further. I would argue that you're not here by accident. That you're here for a purpose. And we would love to help you figure out what that purpose is. Now, I hope that you can see that we want to be a community that you can find a place to belong, regardless of who you are, or where you come from, whatever your story, I hope you can find a place here. So today I want to talk a little bit about the kind of church we're hoping to be. Uh, simply put, we want to be a neighborhood church with a citywide impact. That's what we want to be. We want to be a place where you can be known, where you can get to know other people and they can get to know you, a place that is a church for uh, you to come and to meet and to hang out with other people. We want to be a church that goes. Um, we want to be a church that gathers, not just as a destination, but as a launching pad for service in the community, a neighborhood church with a citywide impact. And we hope that by being a part of this new community, this central city church, that you're challenged and encouraged to go into your neighborhood and to, into other people's neighborhoods and to be the change you hope to see in the world. A neighborhood church with a citywide impact. So right now we're uh, launching in Grandview and I'm not even sure where God's going to send us next. So we really have three ways we want to live into this mission and here they are. We want to have uh, dynamic worship, intentional relationships, and risk-taking mission. Dynamic worship, intentional relationships, and risk-taking mission. Uh, you can read more about those in the update, um, but here's, a, here's a, just a real brief summary. Dynamic worship. We don't want to put on a show. Not as much as we want to just have a genuine place for you to worship. Worship that's fun, but also challenging. And we hope that when you gather together with us, 
that you leave changed with purpose, with a clear direction on how God is going to use you to change the world. Dynamic worship. Secondly, intentional relationships. Hey, friends, we live in a world that is, is growing faster and faster and everything's moving online. And in the process of all that, we're losing deep connection with people. And we want to be a place where you can really be known for who you are with all of your stuff, whatever it is, where you can be known. And, that, and I've learned that authentic relationships almost always happen on the other side of tension, and conflict, sometimes even arguments. Authentic relationships happen when we're willing to confront and forgive. And so we want to be about intentional relationships in everything we do. And finally, we want to be a place with, uh, that focuses on risk-taking mission. We want to be a church that doesn't just come to worship. It isn't just a destination for us to come and have a good time here, but it becomes a launching pad for us to be engaged in what God is doing in the city. And we want to not just uh, do uh, serve the city in ways that are simple and safe. We want to be engaged in ways that are extremely risk-taking. So we're already beginning to dream of, of some really risk-taking endeavors that we're going to launch in the fall. We're looking at possibly remodeling a building that could better serve a neighborhood. We're looking at organizing an entire week of service. And I, we're still working out the details, but whatever we do, I will promise you this, it's going to involve some risk. And so if that makes you nervous, I don't know what to tell you. Because we want to be engaged in risk-taking mission. So today is our first of three preview services. Over the next, this one and the next two, we're going to talk about each one of these. And so today, we're going to talk about dynamic worship. Dynamic worship. Um, so before we do that, uh, let's pray, and, uh, and then we'll jump into that. God, we are so thankful for your presence and for the way that you speak into our lives. We ask that you would open your wisdom to us, help us to see what you would have us see, and help us to leave with a new perspective and a renewed sense of who you are and who you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Dynamic worship. Uh, before we jump into this, I want to share with you some definitions. What do we mean by dynamic worship? Uh, well, the easiest of the two words is uh, dynamic, so I'm going to start there. The other day, actually, Alyssa looked up this word dynamic. Um, truth be told, uh, we, we didn't really think a lot about this phrase. We just kind of thought it was a cool buzzword, so we put it on there. We were, we, we were intentional about intentional relationships and risk-taking mission, but we needed something to call worship, so we put dynamic on. And then later, we looked up the definition. And this is what we found um, in the definition on Google. Um, this is what we read. Uh, there are uh, two definitions for dynamic. The first is categorized by uh, constant change, activity, and progress. And the second is categorized by new ideas and high energy. So when you think of dynamic worship nowadays, a lot of times you might think of like that sort of new ideas and high energy. And uh, we might be that sometimes, but, but not always. Sometimes we, we might be real slow and quiet and not high energy as far as our style of worship. And so really when we're talking about dynamic worship, we're using that first definition. We want worship that is categorized by constant change. Not only creativity in worship, but a worship service that forces us to change. That awakens in us just how great God is and forces us to ask the question, what should I do differently because of it? That's what we mean by dynamic. 
Now, now worship, the other word, is, is a little harder to define, and I, I really wrestled with, you know, how to explain what worship is. If you look it up in the definition, and it's going to give you some sort of definition about offering reverence to a god or to a deity, but I, but I actually think worship is much deeper than that. Um, I, I think the best definition I found came from a blog I read. It talked about how worship is moving from ego to awe. From ego to awe. Ego being this sort of inward-focused life to a place of awe, seeing something that's bigger and more beautiful than yourself, seeing it in such a way that it changes you. Worship, in its simplest form, means turning your gaze from yourself to something that's worth far more and that's worth your attention far more than anything else. And I love this because you don't even have to believe in God to move from ego to awe. This is the reason people climb mountains. This is the reason people go to the Grand Canyon. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? It's one of the few places that doesn't disappoint uh, the hype around it. I remember when I went there and I walked up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and my breath was literally taken away and uh, I had to step back because my knees got shaky. You move from ego to awe. This is what worship does. It's the reason why we go to these wonderful places. Worship is being in that sort of state of amazement and offering thanks at the source of the amazement. So some some people might worship the mountain that they climb or the Grand Canyon. They might say, wow, thank you, Grand Canyon. As Christians, we look at the God behind that and we say, oh my days, like if this is great, just how much greater must the God be who created it? So when I talk about worship, I'm talking about this movement from uh, an inward-focused life to a life that looks at something bigger or someone bigger. So with that in mind, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture together, specifically Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Now, you can follow along on the screen, um, but you can also just, uh, if you've got a smartphone, you can pull it out. You can Google Isaiah 6. You'll be able to find uh, countless uh, uh, links to find the scripture passage in a number of translations. Um, but here's what you need to know about Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, in this passage in particular, is, um, is it's a very ancient writing, and, uh, and it's, it's a little strange. In fact, uh, it, it, he's having a vision, not to be confused with an hallucination, but similar. And uh, he's having this vision of the heavenly realm, which uh, to many people uh, sounds rather strange because it, it is. It, it doesn't happen every day. Um, and if he had it today, he would probably write a book and it'd become a New York Times bestseller called Heaven is Real or something like that. But the whole book of Isaiah is like this. It's, it's filled with this poetry and these ancient prophecy and these biblical images. It's really hard to read. So if you're new to the Bible, this is why I say this. If you're new to the Bible, don't start in Isaiah. Start somewhere else. Start in John or uh, this book called 1 John or any of the books right before John or 1 John or right after John or 1 John are great places to start. But today we're going to look at Isaiah because he gets this vision and he gets this glimpse of the worship that's happening around the throne of God. And that's what we're talking about today. So we're going to read it and unpack it. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it starts like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, Now, this is an interesting way to start. 
And it's important for a number of reasons. One, it, it takes this vision and puts it into history. Uzziah was a real king. He really lived and he really died. And, and so this was like a real time and place. And, and in that context, Isaiah is having a vision. But it's more than that. Uzziah was uh, the kind of king, um, it was, it was a pretty uh, important king in Judah. He had become king when he was fairly young, which means he had been king for a really long time. So imagine like every four years or every eight years, we have a, a new president and it cycles through and there's unsettlement and whatever. Imagine if you had someone ruling your country for like 40 years and then they died and you got a new leader. You can, can you imagine how just how different everything would seem. Um, what's more, after he died, the nation was under constant threat of their enemies, Assyria. Constant threat of Assyria coming in and trying to take over their country. Um, and in fact, it wouldn't just be uh, a threat. Assyria would actually come and take over their country, and all of their people would become, so many of their people would become prisoners of war and be forced to serve in their palaces. So I want you to imagine a nation that's under constant threat a nation that things are just not like they used to be, a nation where things are changing and there's new leadership and things are off and there's fear that has creeped into every corner of reality. And it's in this season that Isaiah has this vision. So going on, this is what happens. So he says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. So he sees God. Just imagine this with me. Sitting on a throne, surrounded by angels who are covering themselves because they had to protect themselves from the glory of the Lord. That's how, that's how dangerous God is. They're protecting themselves. It's this kind of mystical stuff, isn't it? So here's what's happening. Isaiah has his eyes opened to the heavens, to another realm. And this is what he sees. He sees worship already taking place. It's already happening. Now, this is a big deal. Because long before Isaiah opened up that window to the heavens, worship was already happening around the throne of God. And long after Isaiah would come back and leave that vision, worship would still be happening around the throne of God. It was already happening. It didn't start with him, and it would continue long after him. Now, this is important. Because when we join together, that's what we've done today. We, we call this a worship service. When we join together, worship doesn't begin when the band comes up and says, good morning. When we gather together, we join in with the worship that is already taking place. The Greek Orthodox Church actually gets this the best. They frame their entire worship service around this idea. Their, their liturgy and their words and their songs and their, their teaching are all built around this idea that when we gather together and we engage in these practices, we're opening this window to heaven and we join in with the worship that's already happening. And I love this idea because if worship happens only when we gather, then it could just be something we create, just something we make up. It could just be yet another expression of our ego, but it's not. We're joining in with something that's bigger and more beautiful than anything we could ever conjure up ourselves. We gather so we can move from our ego to a place of awe, which means, and hear this, if we fail to show up and worship, 
God isn't the one who's missing out. We are. We're missing out on the chance to gather together and open a window into the heavens and into this, we don't even understand, and join in with this worship that's happening. We're able to join in with what we call their unending hymn. Here's what they're singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The world, the whole earth is full of his glory. I want to look at this hymn just in greater detail, specifically the second line. It says in the second line, the whole earth is full of his glory. And I think that's uh, actually rather interesting. So remember the setting. Isaiah lived in a world that was falling apart. And his nation was falling apart. And the world felt broken. And, and the wonder had all been dried up. And when things get tough, uh, and this has been my experience, when things get really tough, people begin to dream of a better world. And, and, and they long for the next place, the other side, a world uh, that's better, a, a safer world, a world with less wars and more peace, or a world with less pain and more love. In fact, I was talking with a friend, and he's experienced great suffering through his entire life, and he, he has all kinds of baggage that he's carrying. He's just, he's hurting, and he is so longing for the next life. This is what we do. And he's not alone. In fact, I think we're fascinated with the other side precisely because this world can be rather tough. I think there's a movie or a book written about it about every year, you know, where someone has a near-death experience and claims to experience heaven, and then it almost always goes to a New York Times bestseller list because we're fascinated by it. And Isaiah is having his very own experience, and then when he's there, look at what the angels tell him. They say, the earth is full of his glory. So I want you to imagine this, what's going on here. Isaiah begins his vision. He's walking into the temple of God. God is on the throne. Uh, the angels are flying around and they're singing and it's intense and it's mythical and it's insane and it's super, super spiritual and it's basically a Renaissance painting like this. Except for probably not white because he's having a vision in the Middle East. So I'm just assuming that would, you know, his vision would adjust accordingly. These are painted in Europe, you know but extremely spiritual, right? This is what's, I mean, like, that's what we imagine in this, in this space. And, and, and um, he walks in, and the, this is what the angels are basically saying. They're like, God is pretty cool, isn't he? Holy, holy, holy. And, uh, and if you think this place is awesome, you should go check out this place called Earth. I mean, we only hear good things about it. And we hear... In earth, God's presence is everywhere. It's like we show up to worship expecting a Renaissance painting and we get redirected to the Impressionist aisle. Because this is what I love about You guys are getting an art history lesson here today. This is what I love about Impressionist paintings. It wasn't just that they painted differently with harsher strokes or bolder colors. They chose far more ordinary subjects, and they found beauty and awe in everyday life, in the normal things around them. In this passage, the angels point back to earth, and they say, have you seen God's glory there? It's amazing. It's everywhere in the faces of ordinary people in grassy fields and walks with umbrellas and picnics and boat rides, and just ordinary people, not super happy, not super mad, sitting at ordinary desks. It's everywhere. They point back to this earth and they say, don't you see it? Do you? The presence of God 
even in a world that's not quite the way it should be, even in a world that's deeply unsettled, even in a nation that's falling apart, where their king has just died and the enemies are advancing, even in that world, you're telling me that the presence of God is everywhere? And the angels say, yeah, God's fingerprints are everywhere. Right from the start, this heavenly vision pushes us to think about our everyday life. Just your everyday, normal, boring, dirt, mud, world, earth. If only we could step away from ourselves long enough and begin to truly open our eyes and move from ego to awe. So when we talk about dynamic worship, we're talking about worship that's more than a show, it's more than a good concert, it's an experience where we become awakened to the reality that where we are right now is already filled with the presence of God. That the divine is in the room already. Before we even got here, the earth is filled with it. We just forgot. Or we put on blinders. We've forgotten how to see, or maybe we didn't want to see it because when we see God, something very painful happens. Like any awe-inspiring event, God's presence has a tendency to cut us to the core. It, it can cause this sort of shake in our knees and shortness of breath. It can really terrify us. Uh, verse 5, look at what Isaiah does. He says, he, says, he says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and we're all terrible, and we're horrible, and I can't believe. And he becomes terribly aware of just how terrible he is because he's standing in the presence of something so great. He's cut to the core. He's seen God, and in seeing God, he realized just how broken he is. So when we put our humanity next to something that's divine and awe-inspiring, it at times will force us to realize just how human we are, just how broken we are. And we think at times that we shy away from God for, for this reason. We don't want to draw close to God. We don't want to be because he's going to show me what's, what's, I'm going to see it. But it's actually really beautiful. Here's why. Worship reminds us that there is a God and that God isn't me. Let me say it differently. Worship reminds us that there is a God, and that God isn't you. Now, that might come across really harsh. Uh, receive it as good news. Think about it. We get to just be human. Do you see why this is such good news? We get to just be people. The world doesn't revolve around us, which means the world doesn't rely on us. We get to just be humans. We can screw up and things will be all right. We can make mistakes and we can mess up and, and we can get confused and we can have doubts and we can not have all of the answers. We get to be human. Embrace your humanness. Don't try to pretend to be perfect. No one else is. They might be pretending, but they're, but they're not perfect. Here's what's so great about looking at God. We realize that we're not God. We realize that we're not perfect. And if, if we're used to putting on a show, which is me, I, I like to put on masks and put up a front. If we're used to that, if we're used to pretending, and we're used to thinking that we're more than we are, more than just human, when we realize that we're not, it can be quite shocking. 
Isaiah says, woe to me, which is basically an ancient form of WTF. And in dynamic worship, we see God and then we realize just how human, just how weak, just how broken we are. And we're like, shoot, I'm like really in trouble. And while it shouldn't be a shocker, it can be because we've been pretending for too long. This is the product of dynamic, dynamic worship. Do you remember the definition for dynamic worship? The one from Google. Here, put it, put it back up. Um, my favorite uh, part of this definition is where it lists the vulgar slang for dynamic. Do you see it? It's down near the middle. It's pretty small up here in the back. I won't read it because I don't want to get in trouble. And there's kids here. Um, dynamic is, okay, I'll say it. It's ass-kicking. That's what it says. Dynamic means ass-kicking. And that's what we want. We want to have a worship service like Isaiah is experiencing. Isaiah is getting his butt kicked. He's like, Isaiah, you got to wake up. You got to change. You need some progress. He, he knows he needs to change. And this is what happens when we get to that place. We really think, um, I don't think he thinks he can. And so he's just ready to quit. I don't know if you've ever been there. We're like, hey, I know I got issues. I know I got problems, but I, I just, I can't, I can't. I can't do it. My life's become unmanageable. I can't do anything about it, so I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to step back. This is too much. So, but look what God does. Look what happens. Verse 6, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Real mystical stuff, but get past it. With it, he, teaches, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. In the presence of God, in, in the context of worship, Isaiah recognizes his humanness and his brokenness, and he owns it, and God meets him in that moment, and he takes away his guilt. He takes away his shame. He says, I'm just, you just be the human here. But now be a human who's redeemed. In my life, there have been countless things that I've been afraid to own up to. I've been scared to admit my own humanness. I didn't want to own it. I was scared to admit when I lied from a pretty young age with my parents. I, I was afraid to admit when I took advantage of people or bullied people or stuff that I was addicted to. I didn't want you or anyone else to know my stuff. But I wonder, what if it was possible to have a community where you could be honest with who you are and just let each other be humans? Honest with ourselves and with God and with other people. And instead of more shame and more guilt being piled on top of it, what if we could be a community where we experience redemption, where we experience a taking away of shame and guilt? What if we had worship services like that? So here's what we've learned so far. Worship is already happening. It's not limited to heaven. It's all around us, whether we can see it or not. It's dynamic. It forces us to change. It challenges us. It's hard to hear sometimes, but it, but it won't leave you hurt. It'll help you heal. It will redeem you. And then it does one more thing, verse 8. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I go and who will go for us? 
And this is Isaiah speaking. He says, and I said, here am I, send me. It's interesting. This is the first time God speaks. Everything else in this story was either angels or Isaiah. Here is when God speaks, which means it might be rather important. And it's worded in a question. Whom shall I send? It's funny. It's like the song of the angels about the glory of the earth. Uh, glory of the Lord being in all the earth was almost a precursor to this, forcing Isaiah to look back to where he came from, back to this world, back to just everyday life. Because as he stood in the presence of God, God says to him, who's willing to go there, to earth, to here, to everyday boring life? And Isaiah, having experienced God, what does he say? Having experienced this dynamic worship experience where he encounters God in this profound way, what does he say? Basically, uh, translating from the Hebrew, um, this is the joke because I didn't actually translate from the Hebrew, but translating from the Hebrew, he says, ooh, ooh, send me. Ooh, please, can I, do, can I be the one? I'll tell you this. If, if we gather as a church and we worship, lift our hands in worship and we encounter God, and we're not finding ourselves at the end of the service changed, challenged, and ready to go out and engage this world in risk-taking mission, if that isn't where our worship ends with our hands raised, ready to sign up to change the world, then we need to close up shop and go home because we've missed it. Worship brings us into the presence of God, into the worship that's already happening so we can wrestle with the deep things of life, not just to go back to everyday life like business as usual. It's meant to stir within us a willingness to go, especially in the places where God's presence is, but is hard to see. So I want to leave you with the same question God gave Isaiah. Who will God send? Who will go into this world to make a difference? If that's you, if uh, you're finding yourself in your spirit somewhere saying, oh, oh, please send me, um, I'd love to meet you. Uh, take a second and fill out a Connect card. Come and join us for a cookout on Thursday. Uh, join the conversation. Help us to be a church that uh, God can use to transform this city. And if that's not you, maybe you're not sure, maybe you, you still think this all Christianity thing is strange or, or you're just curious, then I'd love to meet you too. Uh, stay in the conversation, fill out a Connect card, come and join us for the cookout. Help us be a church that is safe for people who aren't sure, uh, for humans, for people just trying to figure it out. And whoever you are, I hope that you can leave today knowing that God's presence is everywhere. We need only to open our eyes and be willing to see that the earth is full of his glory. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we thank you for your word and, and for your scriptures, um, as old as they are, to still speak life and to have something to say to us. Lord, we are so grateful that you are here in our midst. Lord, we, um, each of us come with our own stuff, with our own struggles and burdens and challenges and fears and apprehensions. And Lord, we, you meet us and you are able to interact with us on an individual level and know us uh, personally. We ask that you would uh, 
bless this experience, Lord. We ask that you would bless uh, the launching of this new church, that you'd continue to open up doors for us to get to know our neighbors. Lord, that you'd bless those who came and bless those who have been praying and supporting. Lord, we are so grateful for what you're doing, and we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in your name. Amen. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty Early in the morning Our song shall rise to
Lord, thank you so much for uh, having us gather in this place, Lord, as a community, Lord, as your body, as a launching pad, Lord, for everything that you're going to do here in Columbus, Ohio, Lord. I pray as we leave this place, Lord, um, we don't time out in worship, but we continue, Lord, in your presence, Lord, um, and who you are in your love, and that we don't have to be ashamed. Uh, we love you so much, Lord. Amen. Before you go, um, I just want to give you a blessing here at Central City. Uh, uh, the benediction isn't a prayer that we pray. It's one that you receive, and so you have to look me in the eyes uh, to receive it. Um, so I speak God's blessing over you. I ask that God's face shine upon you and give you peace, that you would know that God is closer than you could ever imagine, and that that not scare you, but give you hope. Go in peace and serve.